I invite your attention this morning back to the Old Testament in the book of Amos. This is one of the 12 minor uh, uh, prophets that we, that we see here at the end of the Old Testament. But there are some interesting things that i like to point out here at the beginning of, a, of the book of Amos this morning. But by way of introduction, in Amos 5, beginning there, verse 21, the Lord speaks through his prophet Amos as he is talking to the, to the northern, uh, the northern uh, kingdom of Israel as he, Israel is divided at this time. It says there, Amos 5, beginning of verse 21, I hate, I despise your feast days, and I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. Nor will I regard your fatted peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. This is quite an interesting passage, and you may think, well, these are quite harsh words for the Lord to be telling the divided, king, uh, divided kingdom of the northern, uh, northern kingdom of Israel to be telling them this. But the question arises, which we're going to answer this morning. What makes God say this through his prophet Isaiah to the northern kingdom of Israel? And so we're going to answer that question, and along the way we're going to start making some applications that maybe we may be uh, uh, included in these verses as well, depending on, upon our attitudes this morning. And so before we go into these things this morning, what a great privilege and great duty that we have as children of God to go to God in a word of prayer. Let's do so at this time. The book of Amos, as we are studying from this morning, is one of the 12 books that we classify as the minor prophets. And there are three books which are actually called the major prophets, which include Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. Now you may be wondering, why are they classified as the major and minor prophets? Well, it's not because the minor prophets are less important than the major prophets, because that's simply not the case. The only difference is, the minor prophets are just shorter books. That's all the difference. And it is too. Uh, but, but let it be known that they each contain the same amount of divinity since these individuals were prophets of the Almighty God. They spoke as God spoke to them. Now, a prophet has a great duty. God used him as the means by which God would speak to the people and also to the nation as well. And we see this is just the case in Hebrews chapter 1, beginning of verse 1, where it says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. And so this was a huge responsibility for these individuals who were chosen to be prophets. They were to speak to the people. This is how God uh, spoke to them. Now, because of that, though, a prophet could not just say anything that he wanted to as he was relaying a divine message, but rather, First uh, Peter chapter, or actually Second Peter chapter one, tells us of how this was done. Second Peter one, beginning in verse twenty, says this about how this was all done. It said, "Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, uh, for prophecy." never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as how? As they were moved by the Holy Spirit. 
And so we have the Holy Spirit here that helped these prophets of old talk as God would have them talk unto the peoples and to the nation as well. Well, since the prophets are to prophesy then by direction of the Holy Spirit, then we find in Deuteronomy chapter 18 that they are simply speaking the words of God and not simply their own words. And listen to the principle that Deuteronomy 18 gives here about what about uh, prophecy here. It says there, De Deuteronomy 18, beginning at verse number 18, says this, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren. Now, this particular verse here is talking about a messianic prophecy about Christ. But the principle is still the same. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. That's the principle there. And verse 19 says, And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously, and you shall not be afraid of him. So the principle is this. Whatever God demanded that prophet to speak, that prophet spoke it. And it came to pass every time, unless there was repentance involved, which God calls for repentance every time he says there's going to be judgment. He said, you guys need to change. But if you don't change, this is going to happen. And he said that time and time again. But there were prophets of old back then who were false prophets, just as there are false prophets today that make all sorts of claims. But yet none of these things ever took place from these old prophets back then. And we see people making claims today that don't even come to pass. They are not words of the Lord if they do not come to pass. That is a false prophet. And so, these are the principles by which a prophet uh, speaks of when he's relaying these things to the nation. They are not merely his words, but they are words of the Lord. Well, Amos was one of these men who spoke the words of the Lord. He was a prophet by God and had been given a command by God to prophesy to Israel. But we're going to get to that message in just a few moments this morning. But to serve as a background to our book this morning we find that the nation of Israel was in a very dangerous state when Amos became a prophet of God. Now, from the eyes of Israel, though, they thought things were going great for them. They were wealthy, business was booming, and they lived a life of luxury. Economy was pretty good for Israel. But in the eyes of God, though, Israel was heading for punishment. Their wealth had led them to an attitude of smug complacency, and they thought they did not need God's help anymore. They had become a nation that ruled simply God out, and they had become morally, they had become religiously, and they had become politically corrupt in their ways. But they thought everything was going just fine in their own minds. 
but God thought different. And so that's the background to what Israel is in right now as he's relaying these words from God to this northern kingdom of Israel. And so understanding the background here, we now turn our attention to the message which Amos has for Israel. And so as this, first, uh, as this book first begins, and I encourage you to turn over to chapter 1 of Amos as we go along through here. But as this book first opens, we find that God has a message. And it's not a message to just some people. But God has a message and wants all the northern kingdom of Israel to listen. In fact, I want you to listen to the words in, the ver in chapter, or verse 2 of chapter 1. Listen to, listen to the picture that it gives here. And he said, the Lord roars from Zion. He roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn at the top of Carmel and the top of Carmel withers. And so he's got this great message and he says the Lord roars this out. Meaning everyone is to listen to what Amos has to say as he is speaking the words of the Lord. And so he then begins to speak judgment upon surrounding nations that outline the nation of Israel. And I have this outline on you uh, to my best ability on the board here of what the land was during this time where Israel was divided here. And we have all these different nations surrounding Israel. And I want you to listen to the judgment that is brought upon these surrounding nations of Israel. It says, first of all, he mentions Damascus. And Damascus there is at the top right. And he mentions Damascus as to mention the entire nation of, uh, of Syria. But before we even get into that, he opens every message to these nations by saying this. He says, for, for three transgressions and for four. And he says this over and over and over and over to every one of these nations. And so what does this mean? For three transgressions and for four. Well, this is not a literal term, but Amos used it in a figurative way of showing a complete amount. Well, what's that complete amount? Well, these nations are being judged by God because of their wickedness was to the extent that it was as if a cup were being overflowed already. He had had enough. It was excessive. And judgment was to be upon these nations because of their excessive wickedness. But getting back now to the nation of Syria, as he mentions Damascus here, they're being punished because they had threshed God's people by going against Gilead, which is the homeland of the half-tribe of Manasseh. Now, because of this great wickedness, their punishment would include God bringing fire against Hazael, which is a ruling family, and would send them into exile. And I'm just going to briefly mention through these so that we could get to the nation of Israel in just a few moments. And so that is, the, that is what they were doing, and that is the punishment that God has for the nation of Syria. But the second one that he mentions here, uh, in verse number 6 here, is that of Gaza, which is a chief city of Philistia down here at the bottom left, right on the Mediterranean Sea. They were being punished by God because they had captured Hebrews and had sold them as slaves to Edom. And because of this, God would cause Philistia to perish as a nation. Not only that, we, he mentions Tyre. And this is the capital of Phoenicia. As you see there at the top left, Tyre is there. 
along the Mediterranean coast as well. And Tyre there was a chief city of sea traffic and had been involved with slave traffic as well. And because of Tyre's indifference and cruelty, they, as verse 9 says, did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. That's what they were guilty of. And because of this, the Lord promised destruction to her walls and also to her palaces as well. Not only that, we have the fourth nation that's mentioned, and that is Edom. And Edom is the descendants of Esau. And you remember the story about Esau, how he and his brother, uh, uh, well, he came in from the field one day, and he sold his birthright to Jacob for just one morsel of food. And because of that, they, uh, uh, there was just, uh, there was a, uh, uh, well, there was tension between the two. And so Edom are the descendants of that man Esau. But though, getting back to this nation, they're being punished because of their cruelty to their brethren. They're being punished because of that, who are the Israelites. And because of this, God promised a destroying fire against the chief cities of that nation. Moving on, number five, to the nation of Ammon. Ammon, along with the Syrians, they had committed the same sin of oppressing God's people over there in Gilead. And as they had done this with such cruelty as well, and uh, they were so cruel, as, as Amos is relaying these words from God, it says there in verse number 13, they were so cruel in war that it is said in verse 13, they ripped open the women with child. Now this is very, very unnecessary in an act of war. You just don't do that in an act of war. But this goes to show how cruel these people were in that nation. And so what was their punishment? Well, their punishment was that Rabbah, the, the capital of Ammon, would be destroyed and the king and the princes will be taken captive because of all that. Not only that, we get to Moab, which is, which is mentioned, which is just south of Israel there. And just like their brethren, the Ammonites, the Moabites were also guilty of being cruel against Israel as well. They had, as, as chapter 2 verse 1 says, they had burned the bones of the king of Edom to lime. They had done that. They had done this in an act of hatred and resentment is what they were guilty of. And so because of this, Kor, uh, uh, Kerioth is mentioned to include the entire nation of how its palaces would be destroyed and their princes would also be slain because of all this. And then we get to Judah as nation number seven. What had Judah done? Well, Judah was the southern kingdom of the divided kingdom. And they too had judgment coming upon them. Because verse four mentions two things that they were guilty of. And that they deserve punishment for. The first one is this. They despise the law of the Lord. The second thing they did, chapter 2, verse 4, they did not keep God's commandments. This is what Judah was, uh, was guilty of. And so they were to be punished. And it was promised that a fire would be sent to them and the palaces of Jerusalem would be destroyed because they simply did not obey God. Now, before we continue on, there is one thing that I want you to notice. And I, I was puzzled 
at first by this of why would Amos mention all of these nations? After all, his focus is to get this message to Israel, the northern kingdom. So why mention all these other surrounding nations about their punishment when really their punish, uh, the, nation of, uh, the punishment of these other nations have nothing to do with Israel? Well, I believe the answer is this. The message as Amos is proclaiming, as God is proclaiming through Amos to the northern kingdom of Israel is this. He said, you see all these other nations around you and you see what they've done and you see the punishment that they're in for. And the nation of Israel say, yeah, we see it. Let them have it, God. They deserve such punishment for all the things that they've done to other nations and all the things that they've done to us. Let them have it. But then the coin turns. Because the very next thing that Amos says is geared toward Israel. He says, you bet all these nations have been guilty of all these things and punishment is to come upon them. But you, Israel, you fall into punishment as well because of several things that you have done. Now, Amos lists several reasons why they are being judged just like these other nations. He says a number of things. Four primarily is, is number one, they were guilty of social injustice by selling the righteous for silver and for selling the poor for just a pair of sandals. That was the one thing that they have done. Second thing that they were guilty of is that they were guilty of immorality. And it is more detailed about that, but that's just a brief statement of how immoral these people were. The third thing they were guilty of is that they were guilty of idolatry by worshiping other gods. They made carved images and they worshiped those carved images. And the fourth thing they were guilty of was simply because they rebelled against God, as Amos says here, is, what, uh, is why they are being punished. Now, uh, uh, and throughout the prophet, uh, uh, and through the prophet Amos, God told Israel all that he had done for them. In fact, they were guilty of all these things, but God said, look, I've done so many things for you. How can you turn away from me? He's mentioned several things. He said he cast out the Amorites before them. He had delivered them from the land of Egypt. He had gained them prophets and Nazarites, which they had even corrupted. You see, they gave wine to Nazarites, which was simply against the Nazarite practice. They corrupted them. And in, in reference to the prophets, when God gave them prophets, they simply told the prophets, do not prophesy to us. They tried to keep them quiet, even though God provided them prophets so that they would hear the message of God through these men. And after listing all these things that they were guilty of and how God had been so good to them, I want you to listen to what God says to them next in chapter 2, verse 13. Chapter 2, verse 13 says this, Behold, I am weighed down by you as a cart full of sheaves is weighed down. God said, I have had enough of all this. I am put up with it. You guys have gone too far. And now punishment is coming. Punishment is coming. 
And because of their wickedness, God promised that they would not be able to flee when destruction comes upon them, and that is the punishment for their sins. That's the judgment. Now through the rest of this book, we find in more detail of Israel's sins, and even more detail of God's promise to punish the northern kingdom of Israel. But there is something I want you to notice over in chapter 4, as we are making our way to our text in chapter 5. There is something interesting to note here. Amos mentions time after time where God had punished them already, yet they simply did not repent because of their punishment. In fact, beginning in chapter 4, verse 6, God speaks to, to Israel through Amos about the fact that they had been punished before, but they had simply not learned from their punishments. In fact, he mentioned several things of what they had done, what the punishment was for, he says that, that God sent a famine to Israel and they still did not learn their lesson. The second thing that happened was that God sent a drought to them, but they still did not learn their lesson. The third thing is that God sent pestilence throughout Israel. The fourth thing is that God had sent a plague and sent war to Israel. Do you think that changed their minds? No, it did not. And God had also overthrown, uh, uh, overthrown various cities in Israel. And then after all these things that Israel faced due to their disobedience to God, he says these, after each one of these things that he mentioned in verse 6, in verse 8, in verse 9, in verse 10 and 11, after all these phrases of what God had punished them for, he says, and I quote, Yet you have not returned to me. You have not learned your lesson. You did not repent after those things. And because of that, the Lord says in chapter 4, verse 12, Therefore thus will I do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. Hey, those are some scary words. Prepare to meet your God. Meaning, judgment is coming. Be ready for it. I've gave you guys plenty of opportunities. Be ready for punishment. Well, I've said all that to help us understand the situation that Israel was in and how God despised their wicked ways. And this all brings us to chapter 5 where we find something that is a bit closer to home and yet the Israelites were still being guilty of back then. It says once again, chapter 5, beginning of verse 21, because of all these things that Israel had done, God responds by saying, I hate, I despise your feast days, and I do not save your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. Nor will I regard your fat, your fat and peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. Now one primary reason why God will not accept their worship is because they had worshipped other gods as well. 
But even with that aside, their worship would have been in vain anyway due to their lifestyle and due to their attitude during worship. Now, even though they went through the motions of worship, God still not accept their worship. He, re he just rejected it. They offered burnt offerings and grain offerings, which they had been even commanded to do. But God still did not accept them. Their, even their peace offerings were still not acceptable to God either. The songs that they sang in worship were as, as uh, uh, noise to God, as he says. And this was not because they were using instrumental music. It was acceptable back then to use instrumental music. There are some that would even use this verse in the Lord's church to say that God disapproved of instrumental music under the old law. But that's not why, that's not what it's teaching here. It was acceptable under the old law, but it's not acceptable today simply because we do not have any implicit or explicit authority to have instrumental music in the Lord's church. We're just told to sing and make melody in our hearts, and that's simply it. But, that's beside the fact. But, even though they were going through these things, God still did not accept these things. Their, their songs were as noise unto Him. Now, this is the same situation as we come over to Judah. Now, Judah was in the same situation that when they worshipped God, they did so in truth, but their hearts simply were not in it, and because of that, God rejected their forms of worship. And this is found over in Isaiah chapter 1. Speaking of Judah, when they worship God, beginning of verse 11, Isaiah 1 verse 11 says, To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me? Says the Lord, I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed camel. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. And so you see, even with the practice of, the, uh, uh, of Judah here, even their worship was unacceptable by God simply because they were not, they, their hearts were not in it and they did not uh, have the correct lifestyle as well just as a comparative to the nation of Israel during this time. And so what is the application today? Can God hate our worship today just as he did to Israel and to Ju Judah? Can he? Well, I believe he can. We don't want that to happen, but I think it could happen. It can happen through various ways from, a certain, from an individual. For example... You remember how Israel claimed to serve God, yet their ways and hearts were far from Him? And because of that, their worship was in vain. This is a similar situation to what Jesus addresses over in Matthew chapter 15, when He's talking to the Pharisees and to the scribes there. And this is just one occasion where Jesus 
is speaking to the Pharisees and he really gets on to them for their, for their traditions because their traditions have overrided the commandments of God. But now I want you to listen in this particular occasion where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and to the scribes over here in chapter 15 of Matthew, beginning there in verse number 1. It says, And the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus, saying, and they presented this question, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. So upon this question, verse 3 says, He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you have might be received from me has been de dedicated to the temple is released from honoring his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. In vain they worship me. Now, the Bible teaches here as Jesus is relaying these to the Pharisees and to the scribes here, that we are to honor our father and mother, and if we disregard them, we have sinned, and people were put to death because of that. But these Pharisees had the tradition that if the child gave their money as a gift to the temple, then they are free in regard to any obligation to his father or to his mother. And so that is how they were disobeying the commandment of God because their tradition had, had, a, had become more important than the commandment of God through that various act. Now they claimed to be followers of, followers of God, these Pharisees did, but their hearts were far from God. And because of that, their worship to God was in vain as well. You see, after all, why go worship God if you are not uh, if you are uh, going to uh, if you're not simply going to devote your life to the Lord? Why worship Him if you have no care outside the assembly? Why worship Him? It is hypocritical and it makes no sense when you come down to it. Why go worship God for an hour or two or even three a week? and yet live a life outside of worship in the way that does not even glorify God. You're just a different person outside of worship services. Does it make any sense? No, it does not. Well, the question is, how do you think God's going to react to that? When you live your life in such sin throughout this week, and yet come to worship Him, do you think... He's going to accept that worship. Well, I believe the answer is no. He's going to have the same attitude as he did to Israel and will reject that individual's worship just as he ejected, uh, rejected uh, Israel's worship as well. They claimed to serve God, but their hearts were far from him just as these Pharisees were. In vain they worshiped God. 
And so it is vital that we live a life devoted to God at all times, lest we fall into the same kind of judgment that Israel fell into due to their disobedience. And we must live the life of a Christian every day, and not just when we come to worship. But it is an every day, it is a habitual practice. Well, what is another way that God can reject our worship? Well, you'll remember that Israel worshiped God in the way that God had designed it. And aside from the fact that they worshiped gods, other gods from that, uh, they, too, they, they, uh, they worshiped him in truth though. But he rejected their worship simply because their hearts were not in it. They were simply going through the motions of worship. They were going through the motions, even though it may have been in truth, aside from the fact that they were simply worshiping other gods as well. And so, are we guilty of the same thing that Israel was in? We may, we may not be involved in idolatry today, but could we be found guilty of those people of Israel by simply going through the motions of worship? Let me ask you a few questions this morning to self-examine your life. What was the message of the songs that we sang this morning? Can we remember? Did we understand what we were singing? Were we paying attention? Or were we simply just going through the motion of just singing? Let me ask you this. What was prayed in the prayer this morning that Shahe led? Were we listening to his prayer as he prayed on behalf of the entire congregation to God? It makes you think. It makes you think. Has your mind been on other things during worship? Well, leading to the Lord's Supper. When we approach the Lord's Supper this morning, what are our minds going to be thinking about at that time? Are we going to be focused upon the Lord? Or are our minds going to be focused upon what we're going to do this afternoon? Or what big plans we have for the week? It makes you think. We need to have our minds focused upon the Lord at all times during the worship. After all, God is here in our presence this very hour. He is here. And we come together to give him the glory. We come to give him the honor. And we come to give him the praise. And to do so without a whole heart. How is he going to react to that type of worship? I'll let you make the judgment to that question. But it just makes you think. You know, I'm not, I, I'm guilty of the same things. I, I mean, there have been times where I'd sing a song and, and I just don't know what I just sang. Or I may find myself wondering sometimes. So I'm talking to myself this morning as I'm relaying these things to you so that we do not fall guilty of Israel's punishment and Israel's judgment back then. Now, it is a serious thing to fall into the judgment of God and I hope that we do not find ourselves just going through the motions of worship 
while our minds are somewhere else, lest we, fall into, lest we find that God will not accept our worship. And us being here has been in vain. Well, as we wrap these things up this morning, you'll remember that Amos relayed to Israel that God had done so much for them. He had delivered them from the Egyptian bondage. He had given them victory over other nations. And because of these things, Israel should have worshipped God and he should have, have been praised. Well, the same is true about us today. You know, God has been so good to us. He really has. He has been so good to us. He has offered us salvation when we didn't even deserve salvation. But Christ died on that cross anyway so that we could be free from our sins. And that's just one thing that God has been so good to us. He has been, he has been good to us and throughout the rest of our lives after we have obeyed that gospel by giving us peace. He has given us hope. He has given us joy in our lives. He has blessed us with so many things in this life. And so because of that, He deserves our utmost praise and our devotion to Him. And He deserves great worship from us with our whole heart. And so let us never find ourselves living a life that is hypocritical, that we come to worship and yet live a different life outside of worship services. And let us never come to worship in a way that, with an attitude that our minds just wander throughout the, throughout the worship services. But let us worship Him with the whole heart. Why? Because He deserves it. That's why. He is the Father of all. He is the Lord Jehovah. And He deserves our praise. So let us give that to Him. Every day and every time we come to worship. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.